You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Jesus ascended from the dead and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Discover more of this truth in week 7 of the Apostles' Creed. We're actually on our final episode of this series, Apostles' Creed. Uh, for those of you who are also hearing this in the podcast, we welcome you. We are concluding uh, finally our Apostles' Creed. This is one of our longest uh, series uh, that we've had. We normally have about four or five weeks in a series, but this is seven weeks. Uh, I heard that some churches in the States even you know, break this down into about 12 weeks. Uh, what we've done is we have rotated some of the topics, and today we're going to be focusing on the ascension. Everybody say ascension. And then uh, second coming. Everybody say second coming. And then we're going to look at judgment. Okay? Uh, this is not really one of those topics that people are excited to hear about, but I believe that if you are a Christian, and if you are a believer, this is something that you can eagerly anticipate, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In fact, when Jesus left earth about 2,000 years ago, as early as in the first and second century, the early Christians, because of persecution, they're hoping and praying that the Lord would come back soon. But we all know that no one knows when Jesus is coming back. And so we're going to be looking at that in this particular topic. I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to recite, since this is the last time that we're going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed, at least for a series, we're going to be reciting the oldest creed that we have in Christianity, older than the Nicene Creed and uh, Athanasian Creed. Okay, this is called the Apostles' Creed. I'd like to invite everyone to read along this creed with me. Ready? Hey, just read along with me out loud. One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right of God, the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open it to the book of Acts, chapter 1, uh, verse 6 to 11. And we're going to be looking at the account of when Jesus actually was literally lifted up to heaven, and that is known as the doctrine of the ascension. For those of you joining us for the first time, uh, I actually placed uh, the verses also right here uh, on the screen, so you can also actually just read along with me. Okay, I'd like to begin from verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now you've got to remember, this was the time when Jesus was just newly resurrected. He appeared to the 11. Of course, you know that the you know, Judas is no longer there. They had to replace him with another apostle and the other disciples as well, and the 500. And so as he was about to be lifted up, he was explaining what is to come and encouraging the church that they are, though he's leaving, they're not going to be left alone. 
And so in verse 8, we are familiar with this particular text, with this verse. He said, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them, just appeared, in white robes. Hey, these are angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And then they said, this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are expectant of the coming of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that as we talk about this topic today, may you open up our hearts. And Lord, even as your word says in Ecclesiastes, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Lord, we're designed to live forever. We're designed to anticipate, Lord God, that which is eternal and not just live in the temporal And so, Lord, even today, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Open up everyone's ears and eyes, Lord God, as they would listen and see what you have in store for us as believers. We thank you, Lord, that we will be able to respond right as we uh, look forward to the coming of your son, Jesus. This we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. So as you noticed, we've kind of jumbled and rotated some of the topics of the Apostles' Creed. Last week, we talked about the resurrection from the dead and eternal life. The previous week, we talked about uh, Jesus being uh, crucified. He died, and He was buried, and He was uh, resurrected from the dead. And so today, we're going to look at, after His resurrection, He ascended into heaven. You know, people are really looking forward to the last days. You know, some are predicting it. You know, Hollywood has made a lot of movies about it. What they maybe are not really excited about is the fact that He is coming as a judge. You know, Jesus is coming back soon. How many of you are convinced that He is coming back soon? Okay? And when I say soon, it doesn't mean maybe tomorrow, but soon, in a general sense. The Bible says, you know, for the Lord, a thousand is like a day. A thousand years is like a day, and a, a day is like a thousand years. So we don't really know when his timing will be. But one thing we know is that he will come in three ways. Number one, he's coming back as a king. He's coming back to rule and in his dominion reign in righteousness. And how many of you know that you know, there's no king like him? He's not to be elected because he is the greatest king that ever lives. Amen. He is king of kings and lord of lords. You know, he's also coming as a bridegroom. He's coming back for his church. How many of you are part of that church? Please raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are the church? The church is not a place. Okay. We are the church. Tell the person beside you, you are the church. Okay. We don't go to the church. The church goes to a building. Okay. And the church here is not Akasha. We are the church. And so he's coming back for the church, the bride of Christ without spot, blemish, and wrinkle. And so that's why we've got to uh, prepare ourselves for the coming and for the wedding of the groom and the bride in that special day. Another thing that he's coming back into us is actually as a judge. 
This morning, one of our members here at the Akasha, uh, Akasha Congregation is uh, Judge Liza Flores. He is actually one of our judges in RTC Pasig. And uh, she was just sharing a particular case that she handled last Holy Week, which concerns national security. She was able to make the final judgment on that particular case. And, you know, as I was looking at her, I said, I don't envy her work. It's just so hard to judge. It's not like the American Idol and you're like, you know, you're making a judgment of whether this guy is singing right or maybe not. But in this particular case, you're dealing with something. Human lives are at stake. Amen. You know, can you imagine me as a dad, I wake up in the morning, I'm having a hard time judging between my two daughters that are younger who's telling me the truth, okay? Uh, You know, if they are pointing at each other and much more judging. But when you talk about Jesus being the judge, how many of you know that He is the righteous judge? He never makes a mistake. And He will never make a mistake in the way He would judge. That's why I believe that as a believer, our attitude ought to be that of eager anticipation. There should be an excitement of the coming of our Lord and Savior King, Jesus Christ. You know, there's one particular singer who sang this song, and now the end is near. And so I face the final court. Maybe he's talking about his life. But in reality, yeah, the end is near. And when you talk about the end that we know as this natural life, of course, we know that in Revelation chapter 21, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. But yet the order of things that we know will come to an end. That is prophesied in Revelation chapter 19. But what happened after the resurrection? I have here just two points. Everybody say two points. Praise God, okay? I have two points for my sermon and about 35 sub-points. But anyway, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, First point is, He ascended to heaven. Jesus went to heaven and He ascended there. So what for us as believers? What is the significance? Maybe you're asking, Pastor, yeah? Isn't it that resurrection is the most important thing that happened in Jesus? Yes. When you talk about the resurrection, you're talking about Him, you know, uh, paying the penalty for our sins. And that somehow brings about our forgiveness, our redemption, and our reconciliation with God the Father. The resurrection. But when you talk about the ascension, what does that mean for us? Why do we need to celebrate that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but He went up to heaven and is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father. I mean, we've got to understand why we're saying these things and why we believe what we believe. In verse 9, it says, And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. This is actually a literal, physical Jesus going up in the sky. This is the real thing. Superman is not the real thing. Alright? Jesus actually flew to heaven. No turning back. Okay? And the cloud took him out of their sight. You know, when you talk about the ascension, this is the final proof of his completed sacrificial work here on earth. You know, him going back home to where he came from. Remember, that's where he came from. 
He came here first as a baby and then he's coming again someday. But he went back home as a proof of his finality of the work right here on earth. His ascension actually signals the end of the earthly ministry and completion of his work right here. Of course, you know, as I said earlier, the resurrection is a proof of his work on the cross, but the ascension, on the other hand, is the proof of the completion. Everybody say completion. Okay? It's complete. Nothing missing. Nothing to be added anymore. He did his role. He did his part. What was assigned to him by God the Father, he finished it. And so he was, he's there right now. He's not just looking at us, waiting for us to make a mistake. But that's the reason why he said, but wait for the Comforter. Don't even leave without the Holy Spirit. That's why when he left, he gave us who? He gave us the Holy Spirit. He didn't give us what, right? Because the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit is God. And so since the Holy Spirit is here, how many of you know that you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit with different talents and gifts and even was given power to be a witness for His name? And so He didn't really leave us. He promised in Matthew 28 that when He went there, He said, And lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Though Jesus is actually there in heaven, the Holy Spirit is here with us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, it says, And His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength that He exerted when He raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realm. So when you talk about right hand, what does this mean? You know, do you imagine like maybe in heaven there are like a middle throne and on the right of the throne is another throne and on the left side of the throne is another throne? Just like when James and John, remember the story of James and John, the apostles, they went to the Lord Jesus and asking, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit on your right and the other one sit on your left? But when you talk about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, He is not the right hand of God. You know, you know how it is, right? If you're working in a company, if there's an assistant general manager, for example, that is considered the right hand of the GM. He's the assistant. In this particular case, does this mean that Jesus is the assistant of God the Father? You are at the right hand of your kanang kamaykan ni Lord. Okay, No. But what this, there's not, not a literal throne that is set on the right. This talks about dominion. This talks about authority. This talks about rulership. When you say Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, that He is ruling and reigning on earth and in heaven. Amen. Because God exalted Him to have the name that is above all names. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's interesting, well, let's continue to read the verse. Seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He has given authority. He has given all dominion. He has given all power. Matthew 28, basically after the resurrection, Jesus declared, all authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to me. And He is sharing to us the authority that He has. That's why when He said, Therefore, go, because I'm giving you the same authority. And we can see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and what? Seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is seated at the right hand, but guess what? You are seated right there beside Him. You are ruling with Christ. Amen. You have the same authority, the same power over principalities. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 talks about Him coming into a new office of a high priest and a mediator. In verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, this is Jesus who actually faced the same temptations that we are facing right now. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. He experienced hunger. He experienced betrayal. He experienced offense. He experienced people, uh, you know, mocking him. He experienced people abandoning him. And yet, he did not take it against them. He is perpetual mediator for us. He is our high priest. The reason why he is seated at the right hand of the Father, there's another verse in Romans chapter 8 that talks about he is constantly interceding for us, praying for us. Does that mean that Jesus is begging the Father so that we can actually be saved? No, it's not about that. This is the picture. Jesus is not begging on our behalf because he already won the victory. What he does is he's actually representing us kind of like an advocate or a lawyer. The Bible says the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. When someone accuses you and talks about you falsely, okay, you want someone who can prove otherwise. Jesus is this person. He's, he's the one who actually represents us before the Father and shows the march of His hand and said, not guilty because I've already paid the penalty for this guy's sin. And so that's His role right now. Jesus alone is the mediator between God and man. You see that in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, I believe. For there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Himself. We don't need for any other mediator. We don't need any mediatrics. We don't need any mediator saint. You can have access to the Father because of the name of Jesus. Amen. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus Christ died on that cross. In the temple, you'll actually see the Holy of Holy. The curtain there was torn from top to bottom. The significance of that is God the Father is now opening an access for us. The believers, you don't need a priest. Okay, The Israelites always had to go to a priest in order for them to communicate to God. But nowadays, as believers, you have the access to go straight to the Heavenly Father. Amen. You don't need to go through the pastors to be heard by God. You go straight to Jesus because He is the mediator before us and before God. In other words, Christ's ascension 
speaks of the finality of Jesus' work here on earth. It also symbolizes that He was exalted by the Father. He's now seated at the right hand of God. And it gives us authority to be enforcers of His intercessory ministry because He is also enforcing us with the same authority that He has. Second point is He will come back to judge the living and the dead. And, you know, what's the implication of this second coming? You know, back in the 80s, there was a prediction that Jesus was coming back in 1988. In fact, there was a book that was written to that effect. The book was entitled, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And people were just in frenzy, trying to, you know, evangelize because it's the final hour already, you know, Jesus is coming back and the, the end of the world is near. And so, um, actually, one of my friends, Pastor Luther Mankow, uh, called one of his friends who really does believe that Jesus is coming back during that time. And what he said was, if you believe that Jesus is coming back, and I have your ref already, uh, you, don't be, you won't be needing this because you're going to be taken to heaven. And unfortunately, the, the guy did not really believe it that much, and so he withheld his property. Uh, you know, different people made different wrong decisions because of the wrong belief. And in, in trying to predict the actual date when Jesus Christ was coming back. And of course, we know that 88, 1988 went by, and it was 1989. And the author of the book made a different calculation and published another book. And guess what the title is? 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. Okay? And still, we're here. Acts chapter 1, verse 10. We've just read this. In verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, the angels were saying, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why do we say that this is the second coming? Because Jesus already came here first as a baby. In fact, his first coming was in humility. It was in a state of humiliation. He was born in a manger. Though he was king, he was born in a place that is very ragged. You know, not even in a hospital and not even in a nice house or not even a nice room. He was born in a place where animals were actually eating a rough trough. But yet, the role of Christ when He first came was that He was a sacrificial lamb that was about to be slain. His second coming will be different. His second coming will be that will be in a state of exaltation. Everybody say exaltation. The first coming was in humiliation. The second coming was in exaltation. During that time when He came first as a baby, there's not many people who knew about the fact that He was born. A Savior in earth has been born. Of course, God allowed the angels to appear before a group of shepherds and they were talking about it and they sang a song. But somehow, no else in Jerusalem knew about the fact, or in Bethlehem knew about the fact that the coming, the king, was born in Israel. There were no text messages, no Instagram posts, no nothing. People were unaware that he was actually born. It was a silent night. Thus we sing the song, Silent Night. It will be so different when he comes back someday. It will no longer be a silent night. It will be a noisy day. 
It will be, you know, a trumpet sound. It will be a big announcement. Everybody in the whole world, when Jesus appears in the clouds, will find out that He is coming back, that He is arriving earth, that He is coming to judge the living and the dead. What a fearful day for those who are not ready. And I believe that as believers, how many of you are believers? How many of you believe in the Lord Jesus? There's nothing to fear. Tell the person beside you, nothing to fear. You got to be excited. Tell that person, you got to be excited about a second coming. You know, many people during the first, second century, third century, because of the persecution of Nero in the Roman Empire, they wish that the second coming would actually hasten. And they are, you know, the, the apostles, the different apostles are writing about this. Apostle James, you know, wrote about consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. The apostle Peter is writing about, you know, consider it like, you know, a purging of you being turned into gold. And so they're saying about their experience as Christians being persecuted. That's why the admonition to the church really is an eager anticipation of his second coming. They're kind of like praying, Lord, when will you come back? When will you return? Come back for us. We're eagerly waiting for you know, a redemption from their different uh, situation as they're going through difficult lives. You know, even in Hollywood, they're trying to predict you know, what, how it will be in the last day. Movies like Armageddon or The Day After Tomorrow or... 2012, they even look at the Mayan calendar in trying to predict that maybe the end of, the, of days or the second coming is coming in 2012. And what year is it now? 2016. We're still here, right? That's the person beside you, okay? We're still here, okay? You know, we haven't left earth unless, you know, you have an out-of-body experience, but we're still here. 2012 is a movie, talks about that. There's another movie, uh, ID4, Independence Day, is that right? Independence Day. Okay, another movie talks about the end of day, says Ice Age. Or maybe World War Z, I don't know. There's so many films that came out talking about the last days. But really, it's just so hard for us to know when that day will be. We do not know when Jesus is coming back. He said this in different passages in Matthew 24, verse 44. The Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. He will come. You know, one of the descriptions is He will come like a thief in the night. You know, a thief normally comes at an hour where you least expect. He comes in as a surprise. The question is, how do we get ready? If we don't know that He is coming, how do we prepare for that? Matthew 25 verse 13 talks about, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And it's useless for us to try to predict when that day will be. You know, even if you are an actuarian, you know, scientist, you know, trying to do the math, and if you're knowledgeable about the Bible, He just simply said it. You do not know when the hour will come. There's still so much work that has to be done here on planet Earth. Amen. What I, what I do know is that the gospel has to be preached 
first. And he said, and this gospel has to be preached in all the corners of the world, and then the end will come. And we know that it is still far off. Amen. There are still a lot more nations to conquer, a lot more nations to reach out to. That's why we're hastening the day by sending out missions. How many of you appreciate what God is doing in Nepal? Come on now. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that? You know, God is waking up these nations. No matter what kind of stronghold there is in those nations, whether it's Hindu or Buddhism or even the final frontier, Muslim, the Islam religion, I believe that it will have to bow down at the name of Jesus. Amen. Ultimately, Jesus Christ will reign there in those nations. But yet, that's the sign. And this gospel will be preached into all the nations of the world. And then, the end will come. So in the meantime, while waiting, what are we supposed to do? So this is basically a, you know, a validation of that particular Apostle's Creed, that line. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, a description of what is to come on that final hour. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. You know, when, when Jesus comes, there's going to be a great white throne judgment, a judgment seat of Christ. You know, and when you talk about judgment, judgment is not just the idea that is found in the New Testament. The Israelites were so familiar about God being the judge. They're talking about that in the book of Psalms. They're talking about that in Ecclesiastes. They're talking about that, you know, the final words of King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He said this, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. And then he talks about, because he will judge Everything that we have done and every, every thought, He will judge that. Judgment is not just a New Testament thing. What is unique about the New Testament is we know who the judge will be. And His name is Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, God has already been considered as a judge, a righteous judge, a holy judge. And here in verse 32, Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep. Everybody say sheep. From the goats. Everybody say goats. In verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right. Look at the person on your right. Come on, look at the person on your right. There you go. But the goats on the left. Now look at the person on your left. Don't say anything because... You who are on your light, right once, you're now on the left, right? Or whatever, okay? You got confused there. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know, I believe that in God's omniscience, He knew who will make the choice to obey Him and to believe in His name. Those are the ones who are saved, the believers. Christ will judge the unbelievers. If you are saved, you're in a safe zone. That's why you're safe. Unfortunately, Christ will judge the unbelievers. God is a holy God and He judges. He knows each and every word 
that the unsaved say. There's going to be books that will be opened in heaven. And He will read out everything in that book, every word that we've spoken, every deed that we've done, every motive in our heart will be exposed. Can you imagine how long that trial will be? Of all the people, the billions of people that lived on the planet, past, present, and future, and there's just one judgment day. Now, I know that it's kind of hard to comprehend, but you've got to understand that eternity is different from our chronos time. For us, a day is 24 hours. But for God, a, a day, He invented time. In fact, I believe that when you walk into eternity, there's no such thing as yesterday, tomorrow, and right now. It's just one, you know, hodgepodge of whatever, time. It's not chronological, that's eternal time. And, you know, when you talk about the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a, a huge line just waiting for people to be judged. He's going to separate the righteous from the unbelievers. Now, for the unbelievers, this is what's going to happen. And the sea gave up the dead who were in, the, in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is called what? Second death. First death is physical death. Second death is the lake of fire. We're all designed to live forever, righteous or unrighteous. There's no such thing as annihilationism, okay? As if you cease to exist, you, know, you will exist for eternity. The, ask, the question is, where do we exist? The lake of fire. And if anyone's name, verse 15, you got to look at this. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, the moment that you get saved, the moment that you make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, your name supernaturally was written in the Lamb's book of life. I was reading this morning uh, while I was preparing in Luke chapter 10. I was just doing my devotional. And the disciples were so excited as they were sent out by Jesus, two by two, 72 of them. They went back to the Lord and they were giving reports and said, Lord, we did this. We prayed for people. They got healed. We, you know, we casted out demons and they obey us. And Jesus told this to the disciples. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He said, do not rejoice that the demons obey you, but rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah, we can rejoice because we have power and authority. It's a given, but rejoice more because that day will come when God finally opens up the book and find out, is my name there? You know, I took the board exam in accounting in 1989, 1990. One of the hardest part of that exam is not the exam itself. It's the anticipation of what happens after the exam, what's the result? Is my name there, written there on the board as one who passed the exam? And when I finally heard my name, Ariel Jose Gutierrez Marquez, woohoo! As part of that, what an excitement I felt. And guess what? By faith, everyone say, by faith, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. 
Once it's there, it's there. You will not lose your salvation. But there is a way for us to prepare the coming of the Lord Jesus. He, he used different parables to explain this. Parable of the ten virgins talks about readiness. Parable of the talents talks about faithfulness and so on and so forth. How are to live our life here? We're going to look at that in a while. But in Matthew 25 verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The unsaved, the unrighteous, those who did not acknowledge the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord and King will be part of this. This is a very sobering message, church. But this is Scripture. If Christ will judge the unrighteous, what, he'll, what will He do with us? The righteous. Will you and I be judged? Guess what? No more. But we will be given rewards. Jesus already suffered on our behalf. Remember what happened on the cross? That was the ultimate judgment for the believers. When Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, it was the wrath of God that was being poured out on Christ. And guess what? When you received and believed in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is where you call the divine exchange happen. His righteousness for our sins. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. Because of what He did, we are now in right standing before the Lord. Amen. And that's really something to look forward to. Amen. As a righteous believer, you are now just waiting for a reward. Revelation 22 verse 12 talks about, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what He has done. We are saved not by good works, but our reward depends on the good works. Are we here this afternoon? Are, are we tracking here? Yes, we are going to heaven. The moment that you receive Jesus by faith, through His grace, we don't deserve it. We receive it. But yet the reward that Jesus has for each one of us is dependent on our deeds and our action. Very quickly, I don't want to expound on all these. There are five different crowns that He will give to the righteous. First is the crown of righteousness. You can just read that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. talks about, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's the Apostle Paul. Second is the incorruptible crown, the crown that never perishes. People in this life, the Apostle Paul used the analogy of an athlete. They work for something that does not really last, but yet we work to get the crown that lasts forever, an incorruptible crown. Another crown is crown of life in James chapter 1, verse 12. Okay? If you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life. There is a test that we go through in life every day. There is a test. Crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, the unfading crown of glory, and then the crown of joy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory. And what is this crown for? Is it for us to put on our head and brag about, you know, brag to everyone, hey guys... My crown is bigger than yours. 
No, this is meant for us to be used to offer worship before the Lord. As we worship, you're throwing your crowns. You know, you're laying down at the feet of Christ. And I hope that when we get to heaven, we can actually worship with a lot of crowns on our head. But what happens if we don't have any crown? The Apostle Paul kind of talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest. He's talking about the believers here. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Are you tracking with me? We're being tested here. Each man will be tested on the work that you've done. We're not talking about salvation here. You're saved already. But what do you do now as a Christian matters to God. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be what? Saved, but only as through the fire. You just, you're just going through the fire. You smell like smoke. You made it to heaven. But yet you have nothing. Do we want that? Don't just go for a 75 percentile, guys. You know, let's go for it. And go for being a top matcher for God. Amen. I believe that God deserves you know, for us to be able to worship Him and for us to be able to give His crown. Now that we know that He is coming back soon, but we don't know when. How do we prepare? First, we need to eagerly await the return of Christ. You can actually be eager and be excited about the second coming. You know, from time to time when my two younger daughters would misbehave, Shirley would call me and report to me what happens in the home. And so when that thing comes up, I said, okay, uh, love, just give me time. I'm in the office right now, but when I get home, I'm going to deal with the girls. And so in those times, the girls are not excited to see daddy. They're not excited to see daddy go home because of the anticipation of punishment. I have to deal with them. But in a different situation... If they were great, if they obeyed mom, they honored her, they did their chores, and they heard that, you know, daddy is coming home with a pasalubong, guess what? They are eager to see daddy. Dad, what time are you coming home? I miss you already. Whoa. They want to see what I have, right? The reward that I have. It's the same family, same father, same children, different circumstance. One brings excitement, the other one brings fear. It's because of what they have done. How many students do we have in this place? If you are a student, can you please raise your hand. How many of you are enjoying summer? Yes. But remember the time, your last exams, for example, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I mean, if the last exam is about to be given to you tomorrow, and if you are ready for the exam, you prepared, you studied, and you're, you're so confident, I can take this. You know, let the exams come, right? 
You're ready for that morning. You prayed up, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for the exam. Help me today as I take my exam in Jesus' name. You're anticipating. But what if you are not ready for the exam? What's your prayer for that day? Lord, may there be an earthquake today. Lord, may there be a storm. I pray there's going to be no classes. May there, you know, we're, we're eagerly not wanting to go to the exams because we're not ready. Because we're not prepared. We've got to make ourselves ready we need to eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. And last, as I come to a close, we need to live in the light of eternity. We need to live in the light of eternity. We've got to realize life on earth is short. You know, even Moses wrote this in Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Imagine Moses. He saw the miracle of God in the land of Egypt. Ten plagues being poured out on the Egyptians. He saw the Red Sea open. He saw manna from heaven. He saw quail being provided for them. He saw water from the rock. Every miracle that he's seen, that God can provide for His people. And what was the prayer of Moses? Not more miracles. Lord, teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because we realize that time is indeed short. We want to make the right decision. Do you know that every minute of your day matters? Every second is important. Every second counts. In fact, we came in here at 3 o'clock. It's already 4.25 in the afternoon. We've spent about 85 minutes here in this service. We are 85 minutes closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how important time is. You know, sometimes we say time flies. No, time does not fly. You can actually seize time and maximize time and use time to your advantage. In fact, time is the greatest equalizer there is. We all have 24 hours of time. Only Gouda has 25 hours. But you and I, we have 24 hours every day. What are we doing with the 24 hours of time that you have? Are you maximizing that moment to do good? Are you maximizing that moment to know God more? Are you maximizing that moment to do what is right, to check your hearts, to love your family, to forgive again, to love again, to live again? You know, we've got to make decisions that will matter in eternity. Sad to say, many times we make decisions that don't really matter for eternity. And we waste a lot of time dealing with the temporal rather than the eternal. How I wish and pray that as believers, that God will help us make the right choice in the way we use our time. So that when He comes back here on planet earth, He would welcome each and every one of us and say these sweet words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's bow our heads and pray right now. Thank you, Lord. As all heads are bowed down, every eye closed. Maybe you have not made this decision, but I do want to just give a chance to those who are here, maybe for the first time, maybe you're coming here for a while, but you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. 
you're not sure if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But today, you can be sure because God has given you an invitation to accept what Jesus Christ, His Son, did on that cross. And it's about just, you know, humbling yourself and acknowledging the fact that you need Him. And if you are here this afternoon, as all heads, heads are bowed down, every eye closed, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe in His name, and ask for forgiveness and receive eternal life. I want you to quickly raise up your hand right now as you come to a close. Anyone at all, just lift up your hand if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I see that hand, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? Just lift it up. Lift up your hand right now before the Lord. Just a few more seconds. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I see those hands. Yes. Yes, God bless you. If you're lifting up your hand, would you kindly pray this prayer out loud? Can we just join them as we pray this prayer? Let's say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I need a Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you have gone to the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I confess that Jesus is my Lord, and I believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead. Thank you for your forgiveness. I repent from all the sins that the Bible is referring to. Thank you for the grace to live a victorious life. And thank you for giving me a chance and an assurance to go to heaven. Thank you for eternal life. And thank you for adopting me as a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. We hope it blesses and inspires you to honor God and make disciples. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victory.org.ph or download the Victory app for free on the iTunes Store or Google Play. If you would like to share a story of God's faithfulness in your life, please visit victory.org.ph slash mystory.